1: Your goals podcast listeners, John Burgoff here. Hey, you're about to listen in to a really special conversation where my good buddy Hal Elrod and I, we jumped on the phone here or the intraweb video conference live stream. A number of you actually watched live, which was really cool. And Hal, it was the first time he'd been on to join us in the last six months. And we talked about a lot. It was a fun conversation. This is a two-part episode because we talked for so long, we realized it needed to be turned into two episodes. So you hear Hal talking about his journey, being diagnosed with cancer, what that's been like for him. We even dove into some stories that we'd never shared about past projects that Hal and I have been involved in, some that were dramatic failures. And we also talked about coffee enemas. And if that does not intrigue you to listen in, I don't know what will. And then Hal shared a message as well. I don't know if it'll make its way into this part one here, if it gets into part two, which will be released next week, where he talked about some of his learnings from battling cancer about what matters most in his life. And I, for me personally, listening to him talk about that, it's riveting and it is important and valuable. And so I cannot wait for you to enjoy this conversation with my good pal, yo pal Hal Elrod. And one more thing, you'll hear us mentioning several times during our conversation, we're talking a lot about the upcoming Best Year Ever Blueprint Experience, which is our big live event we've put on now 15 years in a row, and you'll hear Hal and I joking about that. But he's going to be back this November 17th, 18th, 19th. He wasn't there last year because he had been diagnosed just weeks before the event. It's in sunny San Diego, California at the Manchester Grand Hyatt. You can go to bestyeareverlive.com to learn more about that event. Grab a ticket. Grab two tickets. Bring your whole team. Come to Entrepreneur Day on Friday. If you're interested, the event sells out every year. We can't wait to hang out with you. How will we be there this year? So enjoy this conversation. We hope you enjoyed it. If you do, share it with your friends. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Should we rock this out? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Well, hey, welcome, everybody. We haven't actually done this together before. So we spent not hours or minutes, but seconds on prep. You're going to watch us figure out what we're doing as we do this. But Hey Hal, I just want to say on behalf of the Miracle Morning community, how awesome this is to have you back here. We're not only streaming this live, where I'm sure hundreds, if not thousands, if not more people are going to check it out and chime in and hang out with us, but uh, we're also recording an Achieve Your Goals podcast episode. And this episode will be the first time that you have been back with your Achieve Your Goals community in almost, I think, six months. So, yeah, dude, it's great to be with you, man. Let's talk and find Let's out talk. what's been going on in your world and
0: yeah, talk about um, it. Yeah. So for anybody that is tuning, in fact, I think even if somebody knows the story or you've been following the journey, my journey, if you will, since I was diagnosed with cancer, I think it's really well valuable or interesting to share how that journey unfolded. And it started with, I woke up in the middle of the night, like gasping for air. And uh, this was about seven, eight months ago. And it happened for a couple days in a row. I would finally went into the urgent care. They thought I had pneumonia. But the funny part is the doctor that said, we think it's pneumonia. The way he said that, like there was no confidence in his voice, no certainty. He goes, yeah, it looks like it might be pneumonia. There's something with your lungs. So I'm going to give you a Z-pack, which is like the most generic antibiotic. You know, they just hand those out like candy. And he said, but if you're not better in a few days go see your regular doctor and get tested for, you know, it was funny, like he had a lot of certainty. And if you're not better, go see your doctor. But I'm going to throw these antibiotics at you and see if they do something. And so turns out it wasn't pneumonia. And I went and saw my doctor and he sent me off for testing. And the next day the nurse called, said, hey, doctor wants to see you. She sounded very serious. And I I was a little concerned. I came in and he sat me down and he said, Hal, you may have some sort of infection, but worst case scenario, it might be cancer and john you know me i like i live an anti cancer lifestyle like we don't have any chemicals in our house i eat you know like a really clean diet i'm like there's no way it's cancer but okay you know and i called my wife and uh, i broke down crying and she was actually in colorado visiting my my grandmother which i was supposed to be there but i couldn't breathe so i couldn't get on the plane and make the trip and so i stayed back and i called her and uh yeah just started bawling it really just having to share the news with her that it could be that, you know what I mean? And I called you next and you're the second person I called, buddy. That's pretty out my mom and dad aren't watching this or my sister or my other relatives or anyone else. But I called you second and it was funny. I, you know, this was my demeanor when I called you. I was crying with my wife, but I was laughing with you. And I said, buddy, I said, you know, worst case scenario, it's cancer. They got to run some tests. I said, but if it is cancer, that's just the next adversity that I have to overcome. And I'll beat it, I'll figure it out, and I'll probably write a book that will help other people to do the same thing. And, you know, and I said that very sincerely, still thinking it's probably not cancer. There's, you know, and hoping it wasn't and praying it wasn't, but being open to if it was. And I think that the lesson there, John, is to really accept all things that we can't change, but not just accepting what we can't change, accept life before it happens, and I know you've heard me say that, right? It's like, accept life before it happens because things are gonna happen to you that aren't pleasant that you don't like, but the biggest cause of emotional pain and what causes us problems isn't the things that go wrong. It's how we respond to the things that go wrong. It's our resistance. It's wishing it wasn't happening versus going, you know what? Can't change it. In fact, John, I didn't tell you this. Um, My mom was visiting two days ago and uh, I didn't know this. She said, somehow can't change it came up. And she said, pal, those three words have totally changed my life. And I was like, really, mom? I didn't know that. And I go, if anything, I learned that philosophy probably from you seeing how you, you know, my sister died when I was eight years old and she died in my mother's arms. She was a year and a half. She was a baby and she was born with a very rare heart defect. Mm. And then she died of heart failure one morning. And I woke up to my mother screaming across the hall, And she was screaming, my baby, my baby. And as I'm groggy waking up, I'm thinking, I thought she was playing with my sister. I thought she was going, my baby, my baby, and having fun with her. And then I, you know, as I came to consciousness, I realized that the tone of my mother's voice, there's fear, there's hurt. And I ran across the hall and she's, it's hard to tell a story. She's giving mouth to mouth to my little sister. And so, you know, that was losing your child, I can't even admit,
1: Buddy, we weren't supposed to cry on this episode. Yeah, I'm glad you've held it together this long. I got four bites of my salad in, buddy. I appreciate it. You're good. Um, So my sister passed away that morning.
0: And within a matter of months, my mom was leading a support group for other parents whose children had died, that had lost young children, babies or toddlers. And my mom was leading a support group. And then my mom and dad founded a fundraiser. They took a fundraiser for the hospital that saved my sister's life, which interestingly enough, you know, 20 years later would be the hospital or 10 years later that saved my life after I was in my car accident. But I learned from my parents that any adversity, you take it, you accept it, you learn from it, and then you you find purpose in it that helps others, right? And so when I had my car accident, that was immediately where I went. It was like, everything happens for a reason. I have to choose the reasons. I think that's a big thing is people going, well, it's like they're asking God or they're cursing the universe. Like, why did this happen to me? I don't deserve it. So I think everything happens for a reason as you heard the old ism, the old ideology, but we have to choose the reasons. And so that's an active thing. It's not waiting for it to fall in your lap. It's actively asking yourself, what can I learn from this? How can I use this experience to serve others? How can I use it to serve myself, et cetera, et cetera. And so I learned that from my mom and my dad at a very, very young age. And so when I called you, right, I said, if it is cancer, you know, I wouldn't ask for it, but I accept it before it happens. So it has no power over me, right? And that's it. If we accept life before it happens, then when adversity hits us, you're like, oh, I already accepted it. And I've already decided that when adversity comes my way, I'm going to find an empowering meaning in it. I'm going to be grateful for what I have. I'm going to find purpose in it that serves me, my family, and the world. And when you do that, you kind of have this force field, if you will. You're kind of impervious to the adversity because it doesn't hurt you. It serves you. The adversity doesn't hurt you. It serves you and it serves anyone that you decide to share it with and, you know, and find that purpose that's going to help other people. So I'm going to take a drink and turn it over to you for some empowering insights that you
1: can add. Oh, buddy. It's just great to be here with you, man. It's great to be here. I think what I'm happiest about right now is I'm, I'm just a member of this audience listening to your story is that everybody gets to hear from you. You know, I get to talk to you every day and it just makes me happy that they get to hear from you after six months of not getting to hear from you, Pal. They've got to tolerate me on the podcast. So that's got to be rough. I know what that's like. You guys, it's rough for me. I don't know how they're dealing with no, it. No, I keep hearing that. Uh,
0: actually, no, John, a uh, quick compliment. Someone the other day I thought it was a great, uh, in fact, I've seen a lot of posts some similar to this, but she just said, Hal, I've missed you on the podcast, but if it wasn't for you leaving and turning it over to John, I would not have been introduced to John Berghoff. And she said, you know, and then she did a bunch of stuff about how you're super smart and helpful and insightful and you changed your life and something like that. So I'm excited that you have taken the reins and nobody knows me better than you do other than maybe my wife and my parents. But uh, so, yeah, nobody could do it the way you're doing it.
1: I love what you said buddy accepting life before it happens and what's fun is as someone who's known you for what is it 18 years now you've lived that for a really long time and I really love what you just said that I think I think is so meaningful for so many of us whether you're here you know the title of this podcast is achieve your goals podcast which by the way just a brilliant aside what a great title that allows you to talk about whatever you want that helps people that's why I picked it <laughs> <laughs>
0: I learned that from you actually. You actually taught me when we used to title our speeches, you would come with a title like the most important thing, the and truth. The, <laughs> yeah, the truth. There's one of your speeches, the truth. And then you'd figure it you'd be like, all right, I gave him the title. Now I got 3 weeks to figure out what in the heck the truth is and what I'm going to talk about and no, yeah, yeah, I learned that from you, buddy.
1: I did that at a talk for Cutco. I got invited to their SLC, their manager conference. This was like 3 years ago. And they needed a title to publish. And so I said, and I think I was just making myself laugh, but I told them the talk is going to be called The Truth. And then I gave a talk where I never actually said the words (laughs) or anything related to it. But hey, uh, what I was going to say, I digress, is uh, I think that regardless of why somebody wants to improve themselves or their lives or their business, something that you just said that I think is, so important is we have to remember that in that moment when it is time to give meaning to something, and I say that as though we all do it consciously, because even though I could say it, at least half the time, I'm unconscious. And I know that when I find myself frustrated over something that I could have given a different meaning to. And then the other half the time, I feel like I do a decent job. But I think you just reminded all of us, buddy, of something that's so important, which is, and for some people, you know, finding purpose in an adversity It might be through their faith that they are helped to find that purpose. But I love what you said that at the end of the day, we have to remember that we actually have the power to give meaning to adversity in any way we want. Some people, you know, they might give us the question, what's the gift within this adversity? And sometimes we have to keep asking that. And the gift is not always going to show up right away. And sometimes we have to work and work and work to find that gift. But you're doing it, man, and you're exemplifying it. So let me share. You just said something that
0: reminded me about, you know, people often tap into their faith. And then for me, that's big. You know, I pray about this every day. And that's one of the ways that helps to gain that clarity. I have an affirmation and it's, this is really a, a prayer, if you will. There's three parts to it. And this is what I pray every day. And the first part is thanking God and just the gratitude. And then this third part, it says, God, I can't say that I fully understand your plan for me and all the ways you're using me as a force for good, but I trust you with unwavering faith combined with a lifetime of evidence that you've always led me toward ideal outcomes. And so I give you my unwavering commitment to manifest my highest purpose and inevitable destiny. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to make such a big impact in the world. I truly never imagined anything close to what my reality has already become. And I feel like this is only the beginning. I am so humbled, so grateful, and truly at your service and the service of humanity. So the point of that is, if you listen to that, it's, I'd say, I don't fully know what the purpose is, right? But I'm committed to it. Like I'm committed to constantly looking at what can I learn from this? How can I serve? And so I think that it's not necessarily one purpose. So for example, I just filed for a 501c3, right? You know, support the unsupported. So I'm starting a charity called Support the Unsupported. This is actually a great example because it's an example within the example. I don't know what the charity is going to do exactly, Like, you know, Front Row Foundation is, you know, arguably our favorite charity. I mean, it's, you know, you and I have been on the board, we're big supporters, and they have a real specific purpose, right? They send people braving, life-threatening illnesses to the front row of the event of their dreams, right? So they're very specific in their purpose. Well, Support the Unsupported, I just was in the hospital getting so much support from my family, my wife, our Miracle Morning community, on and on and on, and I realized, wait a minute, at first, I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I'm so grateful for the support. And that never changed. But actually, a YouTube comment, someone said, Hal, this is so great that you have so much support. I hope you'll pay it forward and support someone else. And I would do it anyway. But the way she said it made me realize, wait a minute. There are millions of people you know, around the world, maybe billions of people that don't have support, whether they're cancer victims or some other disease or homeless or you know, whatever. And I thought... I'm blessed with resources, knowledge, family, friends, love, et cetera, a community that supports me, or even just the ability to support myself with the financial resources that I've you know worked for over the years. And I realize not everyone has those same opportunities. So support the unsupported is the intention that I want to be able to offer support to people that don't have access to it or don't have those resources. So yeah, so a great example of even the purpose of the charity, similar to the purpose of our lives, it's always evolving. We don't have to know exactly what it is. We just have to be committed to always asking ourselves you know, the questions. And John, nobody's better at asking questions than you. I'd love your insights on what types of questions to ask, but just always asking myself, what can I learn from this? How does this serve me? How can I use the experience to serve other people? Those are the types of questions that I, I ask. When I face any adversity or or any experience, if I learn something at at an event, even if it's not an adversity, but I learn something, I always think, who do I need to teach this to? Is it my best year ever coaching members? Is it going to be at the best year blueprint this year? Should I share this lesson, et cetera, et cetera? So on the podcast, you know, is John Berghoff really struggling in this area and I could teach him, you know,
1: help him out? I could be. Well, buddy, I love it. And thanks for sharing with all of us a little bit about this charity that you're starting that even though you have no idea what it's going to be about supporting the unsupported that's what it's going to be about supporting the yeah, unsupported. exactly and it takes like six months for a
0: 501c3 on average to get approved so i'm like all right i'm going to file for the 501c3 and i'll
1: figure out what the charity is going to do exactly so it's going to help people that need help that's it that's support people that need support that's great that's great hey some folks asked about reposting that prayer maybe we can incentivize and maybe we ask if people share something of ours we'll send them that prayers so i don't know i'm just thinking on the spot yeah, in a self-centered way to spread this podcast or anything we're doing. Yeah. No,
0: I'm happy to. I'll copy and paste the whole... And I'll even get you the two and three parts. Uh, Sweet. Yeah. So you guys heard the third part. I'll give you the first two.
1: There you go. There you go. Yeah, buddy. This is really great. You just said something that I think is also really really great for people to think about. And it's the idea that their purpose or their mission or reason for existing can evolve and to let it evolve. And I know you asked for my thoughts on that. I do a lot of work in this area, mostly with large organizations where we're helping hundreds of people tap into a collective shared purpose. But there's a lot that we've learned doing that that's true at the individual level too. And one of them is exactly what you just said, which is that people often think they need to predict their future, or they need to figure out what their life purpose is as though it is something that is not going to evolve. But you and I have mentors and you and I have experienced this ourselves that so much of where our lives and businesses have landed us in positive ways, we never saw coming. There was no plan that said, we're going to get here. I love what our friend Jeff Hoffman says about how important it is not to chase money, but to chase excellence. I was talking with another one of our friends, Brother James, the other day and we were talking about a client that I had served where I had donated my services. And he had asked me something about how or why I decided for that client to give away something that another client was paying $100,000 for. And, and I just said to him without thinking that you know, when you keep delivering crazy value in this planet, the money chases legitimate value. When you legitimately yeah. create value, you in the long run don't have to worry about being able to make money. And I love how you have always led by example that you've always looked for ways to create value and your business has evolved and changed and in ways that you never imagined. But financially, you're in a great place, not because you had some perfect plan. In fact, even big companies that get put on pedestals, the whole idea of some leader having a vision for the future, in today's age, it doesn't even work anymore. Like you look at the most commonly read book in corporate hallways is uh, good to great. Half those companies are out of business. Like the whole (laughs) idea of having a big vision, you know, in a changing world doesn't matter. And what I love that you have exemplified is you've been really clear for a long time on what you have valued and you have valued the idea of finding ways to add value to others. And that has always led to you being in a great place. And it's just such a great reminder for all of us. Thank you, buddy. And
0: I think that to your point that, yeah, not only do you not need to have a master plan, you know, my plan is I typically you know, set the goals for the year. I don't have the, I, and I, you know, I've, I've sat down before and gone through workshops where you do like a 10-year vision and that's fun. But two years from now, you're like, I don't even want those things anymore. And I have no interest in doing that, right? So it does change and evolve. And I think that there's so much power in your values, in adding value and in positive intention and winning every day. And having a clear picture of what you're going to do, you know, today and and kind of what direction you're heading, but the direction that you're heading, it can often veer off to the left or to the right or, you know, I mean, it rarely is a straight line and it rarely turns out the way you originally imagined it. And it usually takes longer. I think that's such an important lesson that people are patient, you know, on their journey. There's a saying, I think Will Smith said it, I heard say it first, which is, it takes 10 years to be an overnight success. You know, and I really look at it. was about nine years for me when I left my sales job to start my own, go be an entrepreneur without knowing what I was going to do. And we tried all sorts of stuff. We launched, right? We launched global empowerment coaching. We launched your best life ever online program. We did all sorts of stuff. And we were like, this is the thing. And then we're like, no, this totally is not the thing, right? I mean, you have to try and you have to fail. And we're still figuring out. Do, As we do, do you remember the
1: Advanced Sales Mastery Club? <laughs> There's another one. There's another. Maybe we need to make a list of how many. Uh... Do, do you remember how much unappreciated effort we put into the Advanced Sales Mastery Club? Didn't we mail out physical newsletters. We wrote because we were learning from Dan Kennedy, and he. Yeah, did, yeah. and We thought it was a good. boat. there was a minor detail that we overlooked, which was that he had like. 200,000 subscribers. So it, I think it was, worth, it, it was it was worth his energy to pump out. So he would put in the mail. And so we just copied it. We're like, oh, we should do this too. Do you, yeah. I still have. Hey, could you guys hand me an original Advanced Sales Mastery Club binder? I yeah, have, I've got I one, too, have yeah. one of these left. <laughs> one day we should auction this off. So yeah. I'm going to show people what we did if you're watching the live stream. So here it is. We created this program specifically for Cutco reps. This is like 10, 15 years old. So check this out. So every month we would send a newsletter. So if you're listening to the podcast, you got to go find the live stream. And look, Broman. There's John Broman. There's Johnny Roman. So these newsletters were like 10 page newsletters and, and we, we were making like no money on it. I, don't, I,
0: think, <laughs> I think we were losing money. What are, we,
1: what are we doing? I think what you call that, when you do something where you make less money than it costs you, it's what? a hobby. I think this was a hobby. Uh, it was a hobby, yeah. But look, this binder is thick. And even better is not only did we pump out- We and- sent a CD every month. That's sent a CD in the mail every month. <laughs> a CD um, and a newsletter. Yeah, we sent a CD and a newsletter every month. Oh, man. We did that for about a year and a half. Yeah, Oh, why did I
0: forgot? Why did we stop? I don't remember the conversation that led to us going, oh, what are we
1: doing? (laughs) I don't know. I think we were all broke and we had to do something else or something. Yeah. Then we launched your best life coaching. or Yeah. Yeah. That was a 28 day program because we realized, wow, this monthly thing is exhausting. It's like giving birth to a child. Mm -hmm. Um, What else have we done together that we've forgotten about? This is a fun topic. In case um, anyone's wondering, there is zero preparation for this part of the conversation. Yeah. Global empowerment coaching where we had coaches that
0: worked underneath us. My wife, my wife was one of our coaches that coached the accountability coaching. Um, Yeah. I had my wife go through coaches training and uh, she became a coach. She was my girlfriend way back then. I mean, we were dating for like a year, I think. Yeah, but uh you got
1: me into coaching. Can we I can did. we tell that story? I, I mean there's some parts of it that I'm not going to share, but I think most yeah. of it we can I think try.
0: retroactively you owe me like probably tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars for hundreds, hundreds
1: of thousands like of dollars. I yeah. should
0: have a, we, there should have been some I'm a terrible business person. It's like uh, what percentage of your uh, coaching income I should have negotiated up front?
1: Yeah, yeah, cuz you gave me all of it right up front. Yeah, so here's what happened. So I was in the health club industry, which I was which I was enjoying. But the company I was at, and I was only 23 years old and we were kicking butt. And then I wanted to find something else to do. So I got a real estate license because I had three friends that wanted to sell a house and I wanted to sell their houses. And then I, had the, I was like selling furniture out of some abandoned warehouse, out of the newspaper. And then you called me and were like, hey, buddy, I'm doing this thing. This was back in 2004, maybe. You said, I'm doing this thing called coaching where you sit in your underwear and you talk to people on the phone and they pay you money. <laughs> and I thought, this is genius. I went through Jeff Suey's coach's training program, the one that you had gone through. And then you just handed me all these clients, or they weren't yet clients. They were salespeople. On my waiting list or something? Yeah, they had won a free coaching session. So you handed me a list of people that had won a free coaching session. And you said, well, here I... I got a full book and just call these people. So I just started calling these people, signing them up for coaching long before I knew if I could actually do a decent job of coaching people. Nice. That's how it all started, buddy. You got me started with the coaching and that. Actually, it's really funny. You just said something,
0: you know, you were doing the health club thing and then you wanted to do something else. Remember, you were going to sell furniture and then you were going to do real estate. And the reason that reminds me, my dad this morning goes, hey, so we were painting the garage. I should tell yeah. everybody, I don't do manual labor, but my dad is here and we're selling our house. And he wanted. he's like, let's paint your garage. So we've been painting the garage in like 96 degree Austin humid weather today. It's That's what I did before. I literally almost had a heat stroke. I was like about to faint before I uh, came into the podcast. But so my dad goes, So how are things going with you and uh, John, you know, Berghoff, as far as your guys' partnership with Best Your Ever Blueprint and all that good stuff and your mastermind? And uh, I said, really good. I think I everything's great. And he said, <laughs> he goes, I know John, you know, he seems to get kind of antsy and want to, you know, try new opportunities or does that concern you at all? Do you think that it's going to be a long-term thing? And uh, it was funny. I said, I, I said, yeah, I said, I think I said, John and I have so much fun. You know, we love each other. We're best friends. We have so much fun working together. I said, and I think that, you know, he's passionate about what we do together. And so I, th- I think we're good. So anyway, so in front of all of our listeners and viewers, uh, John, is, was my assessment correct? Are we good? <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how it goes this year. Should
1: I be worried? <laughs> we'll see. Well, how it well, goes. Are
0: you going to pull me and not show up to Best Year Ever Blueprint this year? It is my year off, isn't it? Yeah, I took last year. I was in the hospital. I took last year off. So, uh, yeah, we can switch roles this year. Yeah, we have a lot of fun. We have a lot
1: of fun with that event. I know many of our viewers and listeners, you attend every year. And what do we got? This will be our fifth year coming up, right? Fifth year? Is it our fifth year? Or fourth? Fourth. fourth, fourth. Let's call it. Let's just round up to the 10th. Let's call it the (laughs) (laughs) 10th. Yeah, I think it's our our fourth.
0: First, second, second, I I think it's fourth. Fourth year. It's a fourth oh, year we've run yeah. it. It's so uh, funny because the venue. What is it? The um, Grand Hyatt Manchester. Grand, Grand Hyatt. Hyatt. Yeah. You and I went and looked at like umpteen, you know, hotels, and that one we fell in love with. We're like, this is the nicest hotel in San Diego, and I was so excited to just to be there for the event, and it overlooks the water and all of that. And uh, yeah, it was such a bummer that I didn't get to share that experience with you uh, at that hotel and with our uh, our group.
1: But this year, this year will be different. I'll be there. Wait, what do we want to talk about now? How are you doing right now? So you shared the story about your diagnosis. So what's your status today? How many rounds of chemo have you gone through? So I've done
0: seven rounds of, and I didn't know this, but the chemotherapy treatment that I'm on, let me share this with everybody. So I'm big into health and I'm big into doing things that build the body and, and you know, naturally and make it strong. And so- I always said that if I ever got cancer, I would never do chemotherapy. I would just do everything I could holistically. And so when I went into the hospital, I got my lung checked, 11 days went by and they had to stick this big needle in my back and drain my lung. And they would take out like a liter up to one day, they took two liters of fluid out of my lung. And they did that like, I think 11 times over a two week period and then I finally got diagnosed with cancer officially. I went in for a second opinion to this MD Anderson hospital. It's one of the best cancer facilities in the world. And they did all these tests on me. And I went to my doctor and I said, hey, or I was meeting him for the first time. And he's like one of the best leukemia doctors in the world. And the cancer I had is a very rare form of leukemia. And I said, so, hey, doctor, I'd prefer to treat my cancer holistically. And I'd like your opinion on, you know, if you can support me in doing that. And he said, "Hal, you'll be dead between four days and three weeks." I think that's what he said. You'll be—he said basically—he said, "If you do that, you're going to die." And you know, it was almost like an arrogant doctor tone, you know, the way he said it. And I was kind of like, you know, anytime someone tells you you're going to die if you don't do what I say, it doesn't sit well. I think with probably most of you. But I was just like, what a jerk. And uh, but the truth was at that point, and he explained. He goes, "Look." Your lungs continue to fill with fluid because you have cancer and you have acute lymphoblastic leukemia and your lymph nodes are going to continue to do what they're doing, which is causing your lung to fill with fluid unless we, you know, stop that. You know, he goes, you told me you already eat healthy. You, You can't go tweak your diet or do something natural that's going to prevent that. It's going to continue to happen. He said, right now, your kidneys, they're about to fail. And he said, and your heart is surrounded by a sack of fluid that's about an eighth of an inch thick. He said, if it gets to be a half of an inch thick, your heart won't be able to beat anymore. He said, so you go change your diet if you want and take some supplements and go to the sauna. And he said, but you'll be dead in a matter of weeks between a few days and a few weeks. And so I kind of felt like my hand was forced and it was like, ah, you know, I didn't want to do chemotherapy just because, you know, chemo is. It's not like it helps the body. It's not curing the body. It's not doing anything positive to the body. It's not curing the cause of the cancer. Just killing the cancer, and your body is kind of the battlefield, right? And the collateral damage happens on your body as the battlefield. So, long story short, I went through the chemo, and right away, the doctor was right. My lung drained itself of fluid because it handled the problem. My now they actually this was scary, John, and I probably told you this way back when. But for my heart, they actually had to go in, and I was. He said, you know, here's the procedure. We have to go in with a needle into the sack of fluid that is directly around your heart. It's an eighth of an inch thick. And he said, it's a very risky procedure because as your heart beats, it's only one eighth. I mean, what's one eighth of an inch? He said, we have to pierce that one eighth of an inch, but your heart, we have to be careful that it doesn't beat into the needle while we're draining it. And so, I mean, it, it's like he should have live
1: streamed that. That would have been yeah. great.
0: Oh, man. It was I've got pictures of that procedure. It was, <laughs> it was terrifying. Right. And I mean, so I go in and you know, I mean, it, you know, it's a really scary procedure. And I just sign sign a waiver that's like if your heart beats and we stab it with the needle and, you know, and you die, we're not liable. <laughs> right. Anyway, so that's so, a strong waiver. Yeah. So here's actually I'm not going to go long story short on this, John. I'm going to share with you. No, let the long story go longer,
1: buddy. That's why we're here.
0: Yeah. Well, and even when I say long story short, it's trying to keep me accountable to keep substrate, but I know we keep going. So here's what happened. So they put me through the chemo and right away, all the symptoms kind of went away. They drained my heart. My kidneys started working again. Everything started working again. And I immediately started studying holistic treatments for cancer. I was immediately going, okay, well, I, I already kind of been doing it, but I got really, really into it and looking at how I could support what I was doing with allopathic Western medicine, how I could support that and a healthy way to build my body up my immune system, detoxify the chemo, etc. And I immediately went from resisting, you know, having chemo to it was like, I didn't want to do it in the first place, my hand, I felt like it was forced. But then it was like, every time I met with my doctor, it was when can I quit the chemo. And what I didn't know until much later is the chemo regimen that I'm on, it's called hyper CVAD. It's one of the if not the most intense chemotherapies you can get. Like most people, when they have cancer, they go in for chemo, you know, maybe once a month and they go in and they get an injection for a few hours and that's their chemo. I go in for four or five days. I'm hooked up to an IV in my arm. In fact, you can see on the live stream, these are the scars from the pick line that was in my arm. And I had these lines that go, the line goes through my vein And into my heart, because the chemotherapies are so strong, they will burn through your tiny veins in your arm. So they have to have a tube that runs into your thick veins in your chest. Otherwise, it will burn a hole in your veins in your arm. And it's real bad. And then I have, this is the same scar on the other arm for, say, we had one over here. It got clogged. They had to take it out, put one over here. And I had them take this line out of this arm so that I could swim with my kids for these last four weeks and not lose the whole summer with them. So what happened, I immediately was resisting the chemo and wanting to quit. When can I quit? When can I quit? When can I quit? And my dad was researching, he was doing all this research and my wife's dad and I had friends doing research. And my dad essentially was finding that the cancer that I had, that it was very aggressive. And he would find people that had quit their chemo early. And then the cancer, it comes back, it attacks, and then they die. And there were all sorts of like brain cancer was one of the problems where my cancer will go up the spinal column and hide in your brain and then turn into brain cancer. And so I had to get chemotherapy injections in my spine. I had to get eight of them over four treatments where they stuck me with a needle in my spine and injected chemotherapy. And again, I was, I'm like, that sounds terrible (laughs) when they're telling me about what they're going to do. I'm like, this is so not in line with the way that I approach health, you know, and like, this is
1: terrible. That's the only thing that sounds worse than having to paint your garage with your dad. Yes. Yeah.
0: It, <laughs> it, it was a toss up. But so the injections in my spine, I was resisting those. And I'm like, can I just do the chemo without those? And then my mom or my wife, Freudian, slip, my wife meets a friend who her husband had almost the same cancer that I had. And it was before they knew to do the spinal injections. He went through the same chemotherapy that I did. They thought they got rid of his cancer. They said he was in remission. And sure enough, it went up his spinal column into his brain and he died of brain cancer. So my wife found that out from her friend and her friend said, do the spinal injections. But one day I did the spinal injection and the woman did it wrong. She went into the wrong spot and that was probably the lowest point in this whole journey, one of maybe two. But I ended up with horrific migraine headaches for, in fact, that's why I didn't go to Best Year Ever Blueprint.
1: Yeah, that's I why that. I missed it. Yeah. I remember that.
0: My plan was I was going to fly out. Me and my dad were going to fly out and surprise everybody at the event last year. And it was like the day before I was supposed to fly out or two days before that I got this injection and i ended up with round the clock migraine headaches that were so bad that they had me on morph nothing nothing took the pain away it was insane so but here's kind of the conclusion of where this resistance to chemotherapy and what i started doing was researching holistic protocols and learning okay how can i detoxify right cuz a lot of people die from chemo you may have heard that more people you know it's like half people die from the cancer but half of them die from the chemotherapy, right? Because it's poisoning their body. It's very toxic. And so I started detoxifying my liver through coffee enemas. John, you know anything about coffee enemas? Oh man, I was just so
1: hoping we would talking <laughs> about this. I am just thinking, I hope he's going there because come on, man, when, when have we ever gotten to talk publicly to your 300,000 person email list about Coffee enemas, no.
0: yeah. And let me just say for everybody listening, to get a very comprehensive, like, uh, technical training on how to do the coffee enema, and we'll sell you on it here in the next twenty or you know thirty or whatever minute or two or five. It could be but, uh, days. Yeah. Google bulletproof coffee enema, and uh, Ben Greenfield did an article, and that's the article I send to people in terms of that it really explains the science behind or the, or why to do it, et cetera, et cetera. But I did send John. I always send John gifts off Amazon. I surprise him. And one day he got a stainless steel bucket with a tube in it that he would insert into his uh, buttocks to do a coffee enema. And that's the kind of gifts that we get each other because we care about (laughs) each other's health.
1: And I'm the kind of friend that's not gonna turn away the opportunity. I think it's weird. Yeah, it's funny. I'm doing coffee enemas. John's
0: doing them. My wife's doing them. My buddy, Jeremy Caton's doing them. Our nanny's doing them. I've got like our director, Nick
1: Conadera. I tried to talk my seven-year-old son into it last night. Did you? Yeah, I tried to talk him into it because <laughs> I, I think it would heal a lot of things for him, but mm. we got really close, but he kind of chickened out at the end and I said, hey, it's okay, but he Just let it's me. all right. Me, yeah, me. and yeah, some people take
0: a little longer, but um, we can get into coffee enemas later, but everybody should try it. In fact, I believe it was Chris Wark, who his website is chrisbeatcancer.com and he healed himself of cancer naturally, holistically 13 years ago. And now he's interviewed the best holistic doctors in the world over the last you know, decade or so. And he said that the number one way to either prevent cancer and as well as a lot of other diseases or kill yourself with cancer is through detoxifying your liver. And coffee enemas
1: is arguably the best way to do that. And, but- hold on i just have to tell you so in the chat box right now yeah i'm not looking every Uh, other chat uh, one of them is like i do coffee enemas those are great and then there's someone who's like what the what am i listening to right now (laughs) what did i just show up at oh that's funny i know there
0: there will be a podcast i do one day on coffee enemas i'll probably do just a full podcast episode down the road
1: yeah we should um, live stream it we should live stream
0: like we should do a demonstration yeah it's a demonstration yeah we'll do a demonstration yeah all right. Let's just keep going. We do them side by side. Um, but uh, oh, so here's the point I'm trying to get to. I've been doing so much research on the holistic side and I've been doing so I've been doing ozone sauna, right, which is a way to detoxify the body. Uh, I've been doing the coffee enemas. I'm taking an insane amount of supplements and I research every supplement I do. We read the ingredients because a lot of supplements are bad. They've got all sorts of fillers and you know, stuff you don't want to put in your body. You, you think, oh, vitamin B, that's great. And then you turn it over and it's got magnesium stearate and it's got all these different preservatives and stuff you don't want. But even after researching, so we're, I'm taking like 40 supplements. It's crazy. I take like 70 pills a day, something crazy. And that's not medication. That's just natural stuff. In fact, I take almost no medication unless I have to. But Here's the conclusion that I came to with this. After about four treatments out of my eight hyper CVAD chemotherapy treatments, after my dad had done enough research and realized, how you need to do all of the eight treatments. This isn't like other cancers where you have a tumor, you can change your diet, you know, and then it's gonna shrink it, right? So he said, You've got to do all the chemo. And so I finally I said, Okay, I switched my mindset, I stopped resisting, and there was something that Jarek Robbins He shared that his dad, Tony Robbins, shared with him. And it was that when Jarek was in a foreign country, and I don't want to quote, I don't know the exact country, but I think he got malaria, I believe it was. He went into the hospital. They wanted to give him one of two medications. He called his dad. He goes, Dad, I don't normally take medication. I don't know what to do. And his dad said, Jarek, if you have 100% certainty that your medication, whatever you take, that it will work maintain 100% certainty that it will work, that it will heal you, he said, and it will. That's the power of that mind-body connection. I went, you know what, he's right. I could be causing the cancer to stick around because I feel like the chemo is gonna cause the cancer to come back or whatever. And so I switched my mindset and I wrote an affirmation Because you can't just hear something, as John, as you know, and expect that you're going to remember it. When you hear something profound, you better put it into an affirmation that you're going to read every single day until it seeps into your subconscious, reprograms your subconscious mind, and it shifts the way that you think permanently. Not just in that moment, because you'll forget You've got to permanently do it through the affirmations. And so for me, I have an affirmation that says I'm trusting my doctors and I am maintaining 100% certainty that the hyper C-bad chemo, all eight rounds are going to heal my body and I will support myself holistically through an alkaline diet and all these other practices to keep the cancer gone forever. And here's what I realized. This was the most profound realization related to purpose and related to support the unsupported. In the beginning, John, when I was first diagnosed, in fact, I think I might have said this to you when I called you. I said, I'm going to go all natural, totally holistic. And then I'm going to write a book and I'm going to shift the perspective so people realize you don't have to take poison and take drugs to heal yourself of cancer, right? Or whatever disease. You can do it with diet and you can do it with meditation. You can do it naturally, right? That was my original plan. And here's the aha that I had. Mm. I thought, If I had written, this was about halfway through, you know, around my fourth out of my eight cycles. I thought if I had written that book, if I had written a book that said, go all natural, you know, the miracle morning for cancer, treating cancer naturally or whatever. And if I had uh, written that, then you think about it, how few people that would have impacted. (laughs) How few people that would have impacted because you think about if you've read that book, but you're sitting across from your doctor, like I was, And you go, hey, doc, I want to do this holistically. I read this book, The Miracle Morning for treating cancer naturally, whatever it is. And I want to do it naturally. And your doctor says, you'll be dead in three weeks. Mm. And if your spouse is sitting next to you, I mean, what's the person going to do? Go, no, 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 no. But this is Hal Elrod. He wrote The Miracle Morning and I trust him. You know, and and you turn to your spouse, sweetie, I know my doc's an expert at cancer, but, but Hal wrote in his book. So I realized I would impact very few people. I realize that most people are going to listen to their doctor, which I advise that you do that. if it wasn't for my doctor and Western medicine and allopathic medicine, I would be dead probably. So what I can do though is, John, I now have the ability because I've gone through both sides and I've supported holistically, I've had arguably such minimal effects and symptoms from the chemotherapy. As I said earlier, I'm going through like the hardest chemo you can go through And I'm having minimal effects. My vision of chemotherapy is I always pictured somebody over a toilet, just vomiting, right? Just vomit, horrific vomiting. That was my vision of what it would be like to go through chemo. I've had almost none of that. And I almost didn't even realize it until later. And someone reminded me that you've got this really intense chemo. It's one of the worst protocols, one of the hardest protocols. And you're responding amazingly to it. And it's because of the holistic, the things I'm doing on the back end. So the point is, I've realized now when I write the book, it's going to be, hey, listen to your doctors by all means, but they're not going to tell you, because I've asked my doctor, what part does diet play? He says, doesn't matter. Just do the chemo. Well, what about detoxing my liver so the chemo doesn't build up and cause the problems that chemotoxicity causes? He said, doesn't, I don't know. Just do the chemo. Hmm. So doctors are not taught. They're not taught like the traditionally, they're not taught that. They read their textbook and it's like, here's the chemotherapy drugs you can prescribe and here's the pharmaceuticals that you can prescribe, right? And that's pretty much it. Unless you're a surgeon, here's how you do the surgery. They don't learn about anything on the back and anything holistic at least. And I've read that medical school, it's like they spend one day on nutrition, you know, in four years of medical school or eight years or whatever it is, one day on nutrition. So the point is that I feel like everything happens for a reason and although going through the journey it caused me so much mental pain at different points and not to mention the physical pain of some of the things I've gone through, but thinking that I'm putting this in my body and I don't agree with this. I don't agree with poisoning the body with toxic chemicals. I don't agree with that. It was so hard. And then I realized, oh, it's for a higher good. It's so that I can now share with, because there's 1.5 million people roughly in the US with cancer. And most of them, the large majority- are going through chemotherapy and the large majority, I mean, I'm literally talking 99% are doing little to nothing on the back end holistically to support their body, to detoxify from the pharmaceutical drugs they are putting in it, to build their immune system, right? Like you go to the hospital, the cafeteria, hospital cafeteria. I see people hooked up to an IV stand drinking soda and eating pizza. And I'm just like, that might be why you have cancer. I don't know, you know? So anyway, I'm very passionate about this topic, but I'll stop ranting
1: and turn it over to you for some thoughts or guidance. Or just filler. I just filler and then come back to you when you're done drinking your drink. (laughs) Some filler. Uh, Oh man. Well, I would hope, buddy, that as everyone is listening, at a minimum, at a minimum, people are thinking twice about how they take care of their bodies, which is, it's a temple. And, you know, I'm so grateful that you came back to join us today and for us to connect with everybody, because you and I both have believed for such a long time that taking care of our bodies is so important. And neither you or I understand, nor does anybody, how you got cancer, but that's no reason for you to not still live your values as you're treating it and dealing with it. And you are, and you're crushing it. And it's so great to hear. And I just hope everyone is thinking about what they put into their body. And I guess I would also put it differently too. That we should not only think about what we put into our body, but make sure that we're learning, make sure that we're becoming educated in a diverse way, careful around who our environment is, careful around who we listen to, careful around who our influences are. And we need to search for the truth, whatever that truth is, and it might be a different truth for each person individually as to how they should take care of their bodies. But you know, there's the word wholeness, the word wholeness, the root of that word is hail. And hail means healthy. To be whole is to be healthy. And I would just encourage anybody when it comes to nutrition to think about how closely are they eating to foods that come right out of the ground. And maybe many of us are not able to eat food that comes right out of the ground, but how close can you get to that? People would be really, they'd be A, surprised how close you can get to that and B, surprised how easy it is to eat things that are processed that we don't really give much energy or attention to that are doing a ton of damage to our bodies. And then when it comes to physical well-being, and I have long been an amateur athlete who has competed in a lot of super long endurance events. And I've always just found my own way. I've been self-educated, I guess, which is, there's no such thing as self. I mean, somebody educated me, but I just learned what I could. And people have always asked me for advice. I'm not a professional athlete. I will say that I've been able to succeed in my business, I believe, because of how I've taken care of my health, because there's no separation between the two. There's no separation between our psychology and our our ability to think, our neurology, and what we put into our bodies and what we do with our bodies. And I, I believe that it is so important that people think about this word wholeness as it comes to their physiology, right? So in other words... It's not just walking every day. It's not just, should I go do yoga? It's not just, should I lift weights? It's not just, should I go to this class or do this or that? It might be everything. It might be a little bit of everything because it's imbalance that leads to injuries of all different types. It's when things get out of alignment when we do a lot of one thing, but we're not balancing out how we treat our bodies. So I just encourage people to think about movement. How much are you moving every day? Like I'm standing right now because that serves me physically. I notice that when I switch from sitting to standing, for me, and everybody's different. I'm, I'm sitting because I have cancer. cancer. You have cancer. You can do whatever you want. You can be doing a coffee enema right now. We'd love that. <laughs> uh, but I, for me, when I started standing instead of sitting, muscles in my body that for years and years and years were overly tight are now no longer tight. Like my body has realigned because I spend more time standing. And also, I do a lot of exercise for 20 to 30 minutes. And oftentimes, I'll do that two or three times a day because I I don't have a schedule where I can go do something for an hour and a half every day or more than that. But those are just little things that have worked for me. But Hal, we've inspired each other, I think. You inspired me when you moved in with me 18 years ago. Now, back then, you and I had a different... (laughs) We had a different idea. We thought that... um... Slim Fast
0: Shakes and Lean Cuisine.
1: Yeah, we thought lean cuisine <laughs> and slim fat shakes. And do you remember, you taught me how to make this burrito. It was like a, you know, this was back in the day where low fat meant something. Yeah. So we had low fat tortillas and low fat black. Low fat cheese. Low yeah. fat cheese. And then we put it in the microwave. <laughs> That's probably what gave you cancer. It, yeah, it was like plastic cheese. Yeah. So,
0: but we cared. We cared. Yeah, we were trying. We, we were tried. We
1: did yeah. our best. Um, Oh man, that's so funny. That's so funny. What, is there anything else that we used to do that uh, we thought was a good idea that's no longer a good idea?
0: Sleeping in the same bed. Our listeners, our Best Year Ever Blueprint attendees, I know we announce that each year. That's our story. But uh, yeah, we slept in the same bed for like four months from age,
1: uh, you were what, 18? I was 21, something like that. Yeah, yeah. When we first met. Might as well tell the story. Yeah, I was like,
0: we should probably give some context. <laughs>
1: we first oh holly just said what are your thoughts on a microwave holly i haven't used one i haven't used a microwave for nine years That tells holly thank you i was actually just gonna say that how what do you think of the microwave
0: yeah so when i learned i don't remember what book i was reading but it just talked about like what a microwave does to your food it essentially it kills the food it zaps the energy the life force out of the food i put a post-it note up on my microwave this was like in 2005 so 12 years ago 2004 and it said do not use the microwave it kills the energy or the life force in your food Mm -hmm. uh so yeah i almost never use a microwave you know maybe once a year and we get a toaster oven that's the solution you get a toaster oven and then it can heat the food without killing it in the same way but uh, yeah don't eat anything out of a can
1: you know i mean that sort of thing nothing
0: out of a can (laughs)
1: By the way, we're both amateurs and Hal's got cancer. So you might want to thank for all of our advice. <laughs> that is so funny. Um, all right. This is John Berghoff here, Achieve Your Goals Podcast listeners. We are cutting off the conversation here. This is the end of part one and part two will be released next week. I hope you've enjoyed this. Having already recorded part two, I can just tell you it's going to be worth the wait. Check it out as soon as it gets released. And again, to so many of you who've been fans, friends, supporters for so many years of Hal as he's going through his journey, thank you for your continued support. And uh, we know we're going to see many of you at our Best Year Ever Live Blueprint event coming up in November. It's going to be here before we know it. So if you're planning on joining us, we know many of you are. It's our annual get-together. Hal will be there this year. We can't wait to hang out with you to help you to create your best year ever. You could go find out about that at Best Year Ever Live.